welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. It's uh, it's good to be getting into a rhythm here. It seems like we've gotten a pretty good run of interviews, which has allowed me to keep some podcasts going. And uh, I like doing that. I like getting into a, a, a stride, a rhythm here. So we're obviously uh, approaching our Christmas season. I've got uh, quite a few interviews in the bag. I think quite a few. I've, I've, uh, I think I've got enough to get us through the year. And I think we'll definitely... Um, do some even over the break since they're already recorded. That way you all have something to listen to. And you think of Christmas, you think of holiday cheer. Hopefully you're thinking of the Pastured Pig podcast. That's what I think of, of course. So uh, today we're going to do something a little different as far as we still have an interview, but it's a little different. going to go a little different direction here. Today we have Dr. Michelle Fannenstiel. And I love that name. I actually had to have her give it to me phonetically so I wouldn't mess it up. Uh, or Dr. P, which... It's funny because I said, shouldn't it be Dr. F if we're going to do all this phonetically? <laughs> but no, Dr. P, who is, uh, she is a veterinarian and actually has a really neat business that I think we all should take pause and listen to what she has to say when it comes to animal welfare and food safety starting on our farms. So uh, she has a really good discussion, uh, some good information. Listen to the calls to action in the interview there so you can see um, you know, how it may apply to you if you want to step up your game when it comes to on-farm food safety. And also down in the, the show notes, I'll have some uh, links to her information so you can check all that out as well. Well, I'm going to dive right into that interview and I will catch you all on the backside. Michelle has joined us. She is a regulatory veteran, a veteran, a regulatory veterinarian. You know, I knew I was going to mess that intro up somehow. Welcome, Michelle. How are you today? I am doing great. And believe it or not, you didn't mess up the intro because I am also a veteran. So oh. I am, in fact, both kinds of vets. Oh, wow. Well, well, first of all, thank you for your service. Second of all, a regulatory veteran veterinarian. <laughs> I guess a veteran regulatory veterinarian. I guess if you've been doing it for a long time, that it has a double meaning as well, too, doesn't it? Which I have exactly. Oh. Wow, this you know how, how deep does the rabbit hole go? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, all right. So let me let me try to get my uh, attention span directed back here. Okay, so um, Dr. P, regulatory veterinarian. What exactly is a regulatory veterinarian? How is that different from a regular veterinarian? from a regular veterinarian, yeah. So when most people think about their, quote, regular vet, what they're thinking about is what, what we call clinical medicine. So um, the veterinarians that most people are used to talking to or interacting with are people who go out to their farm, see their animals, you know, my pig is farrowing and the babies are stuck, you know, what do I, what do, I do or I need shots or I need, you know, the hundred thousand different things that that we can we can think of that you might need a vet for on a pig farm, right? And so the regulatory veterinarians, we all went through the same schooling as our um, uh, our, our, our clinical veterinarian companions. But what we do is we work uh, with people so that they can 
understand and conform with the laws around animal husbandry, animal processing, okay? Or we work for the government and we make those laws so that we can have a uh, safe food and drug supply because, of course, we get both food and drugs from animals. And that's what, that's what we do. And so we bring all of the education that we got in vet school around how animals function and how their bodies function and how their bodily systems like work and we bring that into laws and and writing um, writing plans so that people can um, meet meet the meet the regulations so that we can have a safe and secure food and drug supply. Interesting. Okay, so that uh, yeah, that is an interesting concept. So that that comes into um, to situations where I assume your funding source is possibly government-based, or is this nonprofit-based? What's the what's the tie to this? Well, it depends on. There are lots of different ones. You know, there there there's not a. I mean, there are many many more regular veterinarians. There's slightly over 100,000 veterinarians in the United States, and and there's a very small pool of us that are uh, regulatory vets. My okay. funding source, I'm 100% customer funded. I run my own private small business. Uh, but, you know, I have friends who work in Cooperative Extension, which is, of course, based out of our land-grant universities. I have other friends who work at the FDA or the USDA or State Department of Agriculture. Um, I, have a, I have a classmate that actually works in, um, in, their, in her state's uh, Center for Disease Control doing epidemiology. Mm. Uh, and, and then, of course, a lot of us also work in the university system and our professors oh. and things like that because, you know, in order to, in order to teach veterinarians um, how to help their clients follow the law when they're doing clinical medicine, you've got to have regulatory vets teach the other vets how to do what they're doing. <laughs> sure. No, that makes sense. So you'd mentioned that, uh, that you're uh, pretty much customer funded. So is, is this something you do on your own? Do you have an organization? Uh, how, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, sure. So I am the CEO of my own business. It's called Dirigo Food Safety, and we run Food Safety University. Uh, I've been uh, let's see here. I started. I started my own business doing this um, in uh, 2012, and I learned how to do all of these skills when I was serving as a veterinarian in the U.S. Army. We are actually the Department of Defense Executive Agents for Food Safety. Yeah. And so I inspected all the, you know, I inspected food that went into the MREs and that people bought at the at the PX so that they ate in the chow halls. Oh wow! Oh, that's it. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, so uh, with your organization, and I'll I'll put some information down in the show notes. So you guys can see the links to this. So foodsafetyuniversity.com. Uh, explain the website and, and and really the call to action, the 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 direction that 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 goes. Yeah, sure. So at foodsafetyuniversity.com, you can download what we call the 12 steps of HACCP. Now, most people who are in pig production have heard of HACCP, and, and they think it stands for have a cup of coffee and pray, uh, because it's this, like, big, crazy, scary thing. It can be super overwhelming. And there's a freebie on there. I want everybody to go and download it. Okay, and it's the 12 steps of HACCP to sort of deconstruct how you actually do this stuff. Okay. Because the planning process, this 12-step planning process, is one that we use all the way back on the farm, okay, and that you can use to make sure that you're raising your pigs in a way 
Right. Okay. Okay. So that. And that's really important. Yeah. So that. So that's interesting. So, so um, and I think to clarify for our, our listeners here. So we're talking far enough upstream with food safety that this is those of us that have live animals on the farm and of course raising them for various processes. This. This is what you're saying. It starts all the way back to us. I mean, I, yeah, something like that. If, I, if I'm remembering my, my information correctly, ivermectin's like a 50 to 55-day withdrawal, isn't it? Yeah, it's something, it's something like that. It may, I think it's probably shorter in cattle than it is in pigs. Okay. Fat distribution, and I don't, I don't have the withdrawal times in front of me. But, yeah. you know, the, the, one of the reasons I do what I do is so that we can all be successful because when you ha- start having those sorts of problems in the process cows, all of a sudden the USDA's eyeballs are on our small growers and are and, and 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 the regulatory veterinarian infrastructure of people who like work for the government so like the state vets and the um and and the people whose job it is to like go out on the farms and things like that all of a sudden there's a heck of a lot of more increased scrutiny on the pasture the pig producers which you know like we're i think most people are trying to do the right Thing. Right. Yeah. But we've got to we've got to be able to have the knowledge so that we can do the right thing the right way every time we do it and understand when 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 breaks happen and fix it. Yeah, and that and that's a really good point. And I know uh, you know I, I think as soon as we said the R word at the beginning of the podcast here, there were there were a certain amount of people that kind of groaned and maybe even rolled their eyes like, yeah, that's what we need is more regulation. But you make a really good point. If we don't follow just basic standards, if we don't understand what our practices do further downstream and how they can can cause issues, the, you know, the last thing we want is some regulatory person on our farm telling us what to do. But the other last thing we want, even worse than that, is a lawyer sending us a letter saying, hey, guess what? This is what you did and this is what the, the damage caused. So, uh, and, and I like what you said there. It really helps keep um, regulation from getting more and more stringent if we all follow some basic, simple guidelines. Right. And, and what I find with most folks is they're doing like 80% of the actions of food safety correctly. Right. And, and, you know, the one that always comes up that I'm constantly talking with my colleagues in the government about is garbage feeding pigs. Hmm. There are very few people who are in 
in, 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 in production, okay, so raising more than one or two hogs a year, you know, they're actually putting it into the commercial food stream and trying to make a business out of it. <laughs> that really, truly are garbage feeding pigs, right? It's illegal to garbage feed your pig uh, um, without cooking it. There are state regulations around cooking it and all that, all that sort of all that sort of stuff, but the reason that we don't do it, one is because from a feeding perspective, it's kind of a pain in the butt. Um, but then the other reason is, is that you get this massive variance in quality, mm -hmm. right? Uh, yeah. If, you, if, if you're always flopping the pigs with, with whatever, you know, restaurant waste that you got, you have absolutely no idea about what your fat profile is going to be, how soft or hard that fat is going to be. And then you know, anybody can sell pork to somebody once, but it's that second, third, fourth <laughs> right. sale <laughs> right. that, that makes or breaks your makes or breaks your business, right? Exactly. So, and so most people are doing the actions correctly, right? Because it creates the outcome that they want, right? Right. And then the question is: is how do we, you know, get that last? 20%, how do we document what we're doing really well? How do we, um, and then how do we, should we ever be called upon to do it? Demonstrate in documentation, we know what the heck we're doing. Right, right. Yeah. Michelle, before before you go on, I just want to come back real quick to the point you made. So garbage feeding pigs, um, I, I know probably 90% of our, our viewers probably understand what falls into the definition of garbage. But would you real quick just talk about post-consumer waste and, and for those that are doing sustainable farms where they're raising their own vegetables, right? Could you kind of explain the difference there and where that threshold is? Yeah, so mostly what we what we talk about when we talk about um, uh, backslapping or garbage feeding the pigs is feeding pigs meat scraps, okay? And the concern with feeding pigs, yes, we all understand they're omnivorous. We all know that they have to um, have uh, they have to have all of their additional amino acids, and that meat is our primary source of amino acids. However, that being said, um, the feeding of post-consumer meat products to pigs without an intervening step where pathogens would be killed, okay, um, that's what we consider quote, garbage, garbage feeding. Right. And um, it doesn't cover bakery waste. It doesn't cover, uh, it doesn't cover uh, uh, fruits and vegetables. It also doesn't cover dairy, okay? Mm -hmm. and this is really neat and interrupting the pathogen, the meat-to-meat -meat pathogen cycle. And there are very good reasons for, for doing this. The, you know, the, the, the um, example I always bring out is in um, the foot and mouth disease outbreak in England um, at the beginning of this century. That was a case of, there were several things that broke down in the system there, but it was smuggled beef into a Mongolian restaurant that was getting swapped to the pigs. Mongolia is, foot, or at that time, I don't know if it still is, um, was foot and mouth disease positive. And this is, I mean, foot and mouth disease is one of the most infectious and most resistant viruses to go. Um, and then it just spread, like, it, it just, for all the different reasons, all the things that broke down allowed for the spread. But that's really why we do it, because it wow. causes epidemic disease of economically important diseases. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think we all should be hyper aware of epidemics and pandemics and things right now. So. <laughs> yeah, I think we all know what we're talking about when we talk about <laughs> epidemic disease, right? Right. And the ones we talk about in pigs, 
you know, the worst thing that happens to pig producers is you feed a pig that isn't gaining weight, <sighs> mm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of these diseases do. They don't necessarily kill them outright. They just make them hard keepers, and that's very expensive for a pig producer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so you talked about 80%, we get about 80% of it right, and, and you, you mentioned that there's the 20% that we may not necessarily be getting. Uh, so could you explain that a little bit to us, unpack that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, that, that, I mean, that, that rule comes from Occam's razor. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I go out onto farms and things like that, and they're like, oh, Dr. P, what can I do? You know, what, what's going, you know, like, what's going on? How can I make this better? Most, like most people, to raise pigs well um, and to get market weight hogs, you have to do most things correctly, right, or else you will have other problems. And so that last 20% is actually kind of the 20% that helps you sleep at night, right? How do I know my feed is doing what I need it to do? Well, that's because you talk to, you know, whoever your feed supplier is or you talk to a nutritionist and you've documented your feed is from an approved source, um, from a source that you trust, it, um, and that your feed itself has been manufactured in a way that doesn't increase the risk of some of the things associated with feed, like, like salmonella, mm-hmm. right? It's about feeding your pigs not on the ground. You know, I went into... This was a while back, but I went to a pig farm, and they would um, they would get big um, uh, deliveries of feed, and it would go directly on the barn floor. Hmm. Well, you can imagine the mouth problem that those folks had. All of this super expensive feed, I'm like, guys, put it in a hopper, put it in a silo. Get you know, like you're spending so much money on the feed, and and to some level, you're feeding the mice, right. and that has all sorts of implications around food safety on the farm. Because what happens, and because this does happen, is what happens if the mouse falls into the feed and suffocates and then the pig eats it? Well, that trips the cycle for trichinolosis. Wow, there you go. Yeah, exactly. You know? And so it's like, it's like knowing that one thing about what can I do to make it less likely that something's going to go wrong and cause a problem downstream. Mm-hmm. And that's the next, that's, it's, that's thinking about like that next 20%. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like that next, that 20% really is more awareness and just best practices and maybe a tweak here and there versus uh, what, you know, a knee-jerk reaction to regulatory control would be, oh, I've got to come in and invest all this money to do this type of infrastructure and change all this type of things. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. The, the, the likelihood that anybody has to change massive amounts of infrastructure is very small, you know, and the gain that the infrastructure gets you. I mean, you can think about the gain the infrastructure gets you if you take your food off the floor and put it in a hopper, right? All of a sudden, you're losing a lot less food. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not molding. It's not getting wet. You know how much you have. You know, like, there's some pretty significant business gains to that, let alone some safety gains, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. And what I tell people is, is that it all starts with, you know, it all starts with the most important job anybody has on a production animal farm. Okay? And I'm, so I'm going to quiz you here, Troy. What is the most important job 
on a production animal farm. Oh, wow. The most important job. <laughs> oh, you put me on the spot here. I would say the most important job is, is of course, you know, feeding and just keeping the animals alive or keeping them, uh, keeping them contained, keeping them out of the neighbors. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but there's, there's the, the, the most important job that you do while you're feeding the animals, right, is you're looking at them. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Very good. Yes. Absolutely. Right? Yep. You miss more by not looking than by not knowing. <laughs> Yep. Right? And that extra 20% is taking the time to look at the things that make the most difference. Right? Yeah. And to document what you're finding and do continuous process improvement. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that. That's that's where I, I've learned over the years. I've switched from having large feed bins that the pigs have unlimited access to to doing a daily regimen. So I can put hands on the pigs. I can actually look at them, uh, just interact with them. Whereas, you know, if a feeder goes multiple days, then that's maybe multiple days I'm not looking at a specific pig or any pigs for that matter. Exactly. And then you're going and you're looking at your feeder. Then you're like, huh, boy, that feeder is full of gradu. Whenever the last time we cleaned that was, yeah. and all of a sudden it allows you to put your feeders on a sanitation program, right? Mm -hmm. And then once they're on the sanitation program, you're going to start cleaning them more often and you're going to notice when they break, right? Yeah. Yep. And you're going to have fewer holes in your feeders, which means that the mice aren't going to come in and eat your feed and possibly fall in and suffocate, and the pigs are not going to eat the mice and trip the cycle for trichinolosis. Huh? Yeah, excellent, excellent. So for these examples that you're talking about, Michelle, when you look at potential clients that you come in, and I assume you come in and do some of this consulting and, and show them how to get set up and, and, and maybe audit their processes to help them out, what what size farms do you see this cover? Is this a small producer that's just doing custom processing all the way up to a large uh, pasture production, or or is it uh, is there a sweet spot there? Is a bell curve? Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're just doing custom, if you're just doing custom processing, my recommendation is, you know, there are like a ton of free resources out there, mm -hmm. um, and 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 that's essentially why cooperative extensions exist right now. Plus, we don't have very many cooperative extensions that are veterinarians anymore, unfortunately. Right. Um, but um, if, if you're just, yeah, I mean, if you're raising a couple of hogs for yourself or you're, or you're doing just, you know, custom exempt, custom exempt processing, mm -hmm. um, the best thing to do is, you know, look at, look at the sites that we have out there. You know, Carl Blake runs a great site on Facebook mm -hmm. um, and, and follow kind of like those best practices. Paying attention to things like on-farm biosecurity, when you're medicating your animals so that you do have withdrawal times, you know, and just being aware of, of, that, of that sort of thing, right? And then putting in formalized systems, um, and we start looking towards putting in a PQA plus system, like that's the one we have, that's the Pork Quality Assurance Program that is put out by the, the Pork Board. Um, and it's a very comprehensive, hazard-based set of practices. And that's for people who are sending hogs um, into the production system probably weekly. So those are your larger end pastured pig producers. And if not weekly, then at least monthly. So like right. we give you a, a scale of, of, of uh, 
when to start putting in these documented systems. And then everybody in between, you know, implementing gradual process improvement, you know, starting at, you know, starting with, with understanding, you know, do something easy, like understanding your catch rates and, and making sure you're doing your observations around that so that you can actually perpetuate your herd. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then looking at all the, like, all the different sections of what you can improve on, and starting with sanitation, you know, are you, are you keeping those, are you keeping troughs and feeders and all that sort of stuff clean? And just gradually accreting a set of, of practices that allows you to run your farm efficiently be more fun to run. You'll have, uh, you know, you'll, 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 and you'll make more money from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, and it sounds like with uh, you know, with pastured pork uh, demand on the increase right now, smaller producers that are looking to scale up, it would make sense obviously to implement some of these things now, so that when you scale up, it's it's not not as much of a learning curve, I assume. Yeah, we call that beginning as you mean to continue, right? It is always easier to start down the road of best practices now rather than having to try and implement a system and go back and re-correct a whole bunch of things. That, that part is always a pain in the neck. And so, you know, it's like, it's like the proverb, the Chinese, there's a Chinese proverb that says, when's the best time to plant a tree 70 years ago? When's the next best time to plant a tree today? Right, exactly. <laughs> yep. Right. And, and, and there's always, you know, if you really believe, as I do, in continuous process improvement, there's always a way to get uh, always something you can be doing to get better at what you're doing to create a safer, more efficient product um, and, and a, a better business. Yeah, and, and I like this. Yeah, this is one thing that, that I have to admit that you know, it, it doesn't, I say it doesn't resonate with me or it doesn't, it's not at the top of my mind. That That's not correct. But it's one of those things where in the pastured pig uh, market, we always think about the regenerative element that our pigs are on pasture. We're, we're trying to create a better product, better tasting product. Uh, we're trying to regenerate the ground. We're trying to to serve our pastures better, those type of things. So it just makes sense that this fits in, food safety fits in as well. It should be right up there equal with all these other things we're striving toward. Sure, and food safety is a regenerative practice. Sure. Right? Yeah. Because if your animal, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a veterinarian, right? It matters to me when animals die. And the goal of what we are doing is our animals have one bad day. And if something has happened upstream and we can't use that animal and we can't honor their sacrifice because somebody didn't follow withdrawal times on a drug, that is the antithesis of a regenerative practice. Yeah, well said, well said. Excellent. So, Michelle, if somebody, uh, when you when you have a consulting opportunity, again, you said that you're funded by uh, by individual farmers, by private clients. So, what's the what's the process of that? So, if somebody, maybe one of our listeners, are in a situation and they think, "Hey, I need to get Dr. P here," what's the process, and and, and what are the services you offer? Oh, sure. So we we offer generally the way I, I work with people is is that in order for us to go and and do an, on, an on-site visit unless there's like some massive emergency that's going on. So I do offer emergency recall and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but if there's, uh, the, 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 first, the first step is, is you've got to make an investment in your business and yourself by enrolling in Food Safety University. 
Right. And then if we need an on-site visit to help implement the stuff that you are learning, then I can, I or one of my staff members can, if it's a farm visit, on-farm visit, it'll be me, um, can come out and we can talk to you about implementing the biosecurity plans, implementing all of the, um, the, the programs that we have in order for you to make a safe product, um, okay, in order for you to be able to, you know, put those pigs on, um, on the trailer, send them off, and be able to know that you did everything that you could to make the safest, most, highest quality product that you can. Excellent, excellent. Hence the name, obviously, University in your name. This, this is a knowledge base. This is consulting. This is instruction that we can receive uh, along the lines of food safety. Right, exactly. Because, you know, and, and we came up with that name for a real specific reason. You know, going to university um, and thinking about this allows everybody to be a beginner. You know, we go to university to learn. Um, and, and I am constantly learning new stuff about my own system. I'm not even going to lie. Um, because, you know, you can never walk through the same river twice. Right. And you can always be getting better at things. And, and, and I think that is a key part of the regenerative process. Looking at what works, looking at what's not working, and doing something differently. Hmm. Excellent. You know? And if we're not doing that in our regenerative agriculture, we're not paying enough attention to the land. Because you're, I mean, you're looking for results, and you're either getting your results on your land and your soil and your, 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 the quality of your animals and the quality of your life, or you are not. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And yeah. what is university for except to learn how to look at those sorts of things? Yeah. I love it. Very good. So um, I, I know I want to try to keep you at the time that you've allotted here, Michelle, but let me ask you a question. Um, other than the, the garbage feeding, are there any smoking guns that you see pastured pig producers do that you say, okay, here's, here's something I run into constantly in my experience, and this is, this is a nugget I can throw out here to the podcast audience? Um, the one that we, and this is, this is more of a quality issue than a safety issue, mm -hmm. is not understanding what you're feeding your pigs and how it affects carcass quality, okay? Um, because, and, 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 and that has to do with knowing your target market. What you feed to produce a really good prosciutto is not necessarily the thing that you feed to produce really good bacon, mm. okay? And it's really, it's really tough unless you have a really good relationship with your processor or the butcher who you are selling to. You know, you have the processor as an intermediary, and then you have the butcher that you're selling to. Um, unless you have a really good feedback mechanism with them, it's tough to know how your rations are affecting the quality of what you are producing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and that has to do with understanding, you know, doing what we call an approved supplier program, where you're getting your rations from, understanding that you're always getting the same thing, um, or if you're varying, if you have ra you know, rations coming from varying places because you're feeding bakery waste or you're feeding dairy or you're feeding whatever, mm -hmm. um, understanding the effect that that has on the final product and your ability to sell the final product, right? right. 
Yeah. Because you got to you, you got to sell the whole entire pig in order to make money. You, you can't just I mean you know you can't just sell pork loin and you can't just sell bellies and you can't just sell ham. Right. 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 And yeah. really being able to take that, that, that concept of regenerative agriculture and close the loop, sometimes by having hard conversations. Hey, how did this cure out? How, does, how is the bacon? How is the, you know, um, how, 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 did this, how did this all taste? Did it, did it have the flavor profile? Did it look the way that you want? Um, Sometimes that takes some challenging conversations, and it takes being brave and talking to people about the quality of your products and not just, like, hoping and praying that if something goes wrong, they'll tell you. Yeah, and that's, that's absolutely huge because this goes, this goes well beyond non-GMO versus GMO, well beyond soy, no soy, uh, well beyond um, I'm trying to save money, so I'm going to scrounge and get whatever food uh, you know, supplies that I can bring in. And it goes well beyond that, correct? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, you know, the, the, all those decisions that you're talking about, you make those decisions based on what results you are trying to get for your client, right? I mean, we make all, I run a small business. I make all of my decisions around my small business, around the question, what creates client prosperity? Okay. All of my decisions come back to that because I firmly, hugely believe and have proven in my life time and time again that when my clients prosper, I prosper, right? And that's how I choose to live my life. So whatever values you bring, right, to, to, to your regenerative agriculture process, what does it mean to take those values and have that conversation with your butchers so that you can make decisions faster? Because your business is profitable or not profitable, on your ability to make decisions fast and execute and iterate so that you get better next time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff. I mean, this is, I think this should be challenging. We should all be hearing this and, and, and be challenged by this because I think we can all improve, like you said, everything from food safety to food quality. And I, I think especially pastured pig operations that are trying to focus so much on regenerative, trying to focus so much on lower inputs that we kind of maybe uh, you know, miss the uh, force for the trees in that situation and not really looking at the type of quality we're producing because we think our, our customers want to hear about uh, you know, pasture raised or non-GMO or non-soy that we're, we're not thinking about the consistency of our feed that turns into quality, that turns into the specific cuts that they're looking for. So this is great stuff. Right. I mean, we can have lots and lots. I mean, we've uh, there is commodity pork out there that is sold as you know GMO, no soy. No, I mean, it's not that hard to to, to do that right. and still have a commodity pork product. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's not what we're going for. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That, and I think that's the challenge for us is to, to look deeper into that to our process and say, you know, when it comes to, to port quality and quality of our product, not to just stop at this one knee-jerk reaction that we think, okay, this is in vogue right now. We have to do no soy or we have to do non-GMO. Uh, and that's all you look at. It, it's a challenge to go deeper into our, our food quality. Right. And allowing that balance to change you and to be a better business person and to yeah. be a better steward of the land and to and to raise the pigs better, right? Yeah, yeah. So that, really. we can, so that you can really fulfill on the ideal of what regenerative agriculture is supposed to teach us as human beings. Right, yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. 
Well, Dr. P, you've, you've given us some great information, some things to chew on here, but uh, you had mentioned something on your website that uh, is free for all of us to go uh, take advantage of. Would you explain that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So if you go to foodsafetyuniversity.com, you can download our 12 Steps of HACCP, okay? And in that, it's just, a, it's just a handout, right? And what you can do is, is you can start thinking about how to apply this way of thinking to producing the product that you are producing, okay? This way of, this passive way of thinking is applicable on farm, it's applicable in a processing house, it's applicable to your sales cycle, I promise. Um, and learning how to think this way will just give you some new insight on how you're going to go and, um, and, and, and look, at your, look at your operation and raise your pigs for, for safety and quality. Wonderful. Excellent. Well, other than the website, where else can we find you if we need to reach out to you or just follow what you've got going on? Oh, sure. Well, I'm pretty available on social media. Um, I'm on the third pig an awful lot. I'm an admin over there, so you can always, you can always find me over there. Um, and I'm also on the Pasturing Pigs page with, uh, with Carl. Mm -hmm. uh, I do run my own podcast. It's called, shockingly enough, Food Safety University. All right, yes. And I do take user questions um, if, if you send them on in. Um, and then if you have, you know, uh, if you have deep questions or want to contact me um, about uh, me coming out on site or anything like that, you can send a, an email to Michelle, and that's M-I-C-H-E-L-E, -E, at dirigo, D-I-R-I-G-O, foodsafety.com. Wonderful. All right. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast today. This has been a really interesting conversation, and it's, it's nice to have uh, some different insight into the process. Absolutely. I was delighted to be here. All right. Well, I am going to let you go, and I pray you have a great rest of the week. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take care. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that. I really, I really enjoyed talking to Michelle. She's, you can tell she's passionate about what she does. Some good information there. You know, not uh, the typical interviews we have, but extremely, extremely pertinent for what we're doing. So uh, I encourage you, check out the information that she provided. I'll put links in the show notes here where you can uh, find her website and, and start, and she'd be more than happy to talk with you all or, or have someone on her team talk with you. Uh, and, of course, you can download that free resource as well. Um, I think it's funny, as we talk about it, I, I realize as we do these edits, you know, I, I book in these, uh, these interviews, so my intro and my closing are recorded roughly one right after the other. <laughs> I realize multiple times I've said, I'll catch you on the backside, and uh, it probably gets a bunch of you all snickering. If you have a 12-year-old uh, sense of humor like I do, you may be snickering like I do. So we'll have to figure out a better way. We'll catch you on the flip side, catch you on the tail, well, I can't say tail end, whatever. Catch you on the ham side. We'll have to figure that out. But uh, I want to encourage any of you all, I appreciate those that have come on and have been willing to be interviewed. I think there's scores of you out there that have a good story to tell us. I think you may be a little intimidated about uh, being recorded. It's just a phone conversation. It's pretty, pretty relaxed. Uh, I'm not aggressive in my interview style. At least I don't think I am. Um, and... 
if even if you're getting started or you don't think you're an expert, I don't know that any of us, I, I actually would, would hesitate those that call themselves an expert in everything in this field. Those are the ones I'd scratch my head about. But if you don't think you're an expert, it's fine. We'd love to have you on the podcast. I'd love to hear your story. And we, we can go wherever we go in this conversation. I just finished an interview that will probably not air until January. And I think I asked one of the 40 questions that I have written down <laughs> because the conversation just went in a great different direction. And I, I think you all will enjoy it as it comes up. So a little teaser there. So if you want to be on the podcast, if you know someone that should be on the podcast, go to redtoolhouse.com, click on the link at the top that says Pastor and Pig Podcast. There's a quick little form you can put your information in that just allows me to organize it better so I don't lose you and I can reach out to you. That being said, if you have reached out to me and I have not responded to you at the time of hearing this podcast, please reach back out to me. I try to keep track of everything. Uh, we had a big push of interview requests there all at once. And I hate to think somebody slipped through the cracks, but I think I got everyone. But if you did slip through the cracks, it was not intentional. I've yet to find anyone. <laughs> oh, I got to watch us saying this. I've yet to find anyone that I would say, absolutely not. Don't come on this podcast. But as soon as I say that, then somebody out there is going to come and, and want to talk about, you know, whatever. Something that has absolutely nothing to do with bastard pigs. And then I'm going to have to say no. Uh, so I'm not going to say that and box myself into that corner. But feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your story. And I think every, we're 50, this is 55 podcasts, uh, episodes into right now. So I'd like to think that there's a little nugget of something out of all 55 of them that, that you all have found useful. So I appreciate all those listening. As far as updates, I realize I haven't updated in a while is what's going on here at Red Tool House. I, I feel like when we do the YouTube videos, that's kind of where all my pig updates are going. But not everybody's on YouTube. Not everybody wants to watch me do all that stuff. And I don't blame you. Uh, I have a hard time convincing my wife to watch me do much of the stuff. <clears throat> but uh, we right now we've been uh, weaning our piglets. We have been training them to electric fence. And we've just been investing uh, a little bit of time and effort here in additional infrastructure. Uh, farming on the side of a mountain is always tricky, especially when it comes to pigs. And we're getting into that time of year where uh, it's getting muddy, it's getting wet, and I have to keep watch of the sacrificial areas there to make sure we're not getting uh, erosion issues and those type of things. So that's that's kind of what the next three months are going to be is uh, a little bit more mud than ice. I'd actually would prefer ice right now, but we're going to be getting more mud, it looks like. So that's what's going on at Red Mud House. Well, I pray that, uh, see, at the time of this coming out, it's the beginning of December, so hopefully everyone, despite COVID, despite all the foolishness going on all over the world and in the country, I, uh, I pray that you all are having an opportunity to spend some quality time with friends and family safely. I pray that you have the Christmas spirit, and this gives you an opportunity to slow down and just be thankful for what we have, the great country we live in, and yeah, again, hopefully you have friends and family to come together with and break bread. God bless you. I pray you all have a great week out in the pasture. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.